Welcome again to another Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about technology, games, digital culture, all those kinds of nerdy things. Uh, and joining me, as usual, is Nick Healy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I've got to say, I think today's show has got one of everything. Gaming stuff, culture, all the nerdy stuff. But I, I just had a really quick question. We've just finished up quite a long weekend, four days. I mean, if you can tell the difference between when it's a long weekend and when it's a work day these days, who knows <laughs> yeah, anymore? It was a weird long weekend. But given how we <laughs> went last week, I've got to ask, how many Quibi shows did you watch? Quibi, Quibi, what did we decide we were going with? I think Quibi because it has a U in it, so I feel like sure. you're meant to pronounce it. I Quibi, mean, did you just binge heaps of Quibi? You all up to date with Murder House Flip and all the other oh, ones? Mate, let me tell you, I watched at least <laughs> two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, conceptually, I'm all over it. I'm loving it. And I have noticed, because I flicked through it a few times, like, kudos to them on the number of new things that are appearing on it. Like, there's heaps of new stuff since we even talked last week. There's a really cool-looking show with Idris Elba learning how to, like, drive crazy drift cars with Ken Block, some what? famous drift guy. You know that guy? Yeah. Yeah, um, of course. So, yeah, there's, like, all these extra things just already being dumped onto the service, and I do appreciate that it actually has... Like a BBC kind of five minute daily news service, um, right through to Polygon, the video games website, huh. also doing like a weekly five minute video game show. So like, I like that there's kind of that element of also having news type content in the mix of the other stuff, because that then makes it easier to think I will check in with it a little bit more often. And I, I have been kind of just looking, but I haven't sat down and really gone, I'm going to. Watch this eight-minute, well-produced TV show. I watched the first episode of Survive, which I think is the Sophie Turner um, show. Um, and that was pretty full on. So I haven't watched the second one. <laughs> eight minutes was pretty full on. Yeah. Oh, like that very first episode comes with a warning about um, self-harm and things oh. like that. So it was like, whoa, okay. Um, but it seems like it flips pretty quickly after that first episode because – uh, it seems like a show where she is leaving, having been in a place where she's kind of getting treatment for mental health problems, and then uh, is in a plane crash and has to survive on a mountain or something like that. Okay. So, I know we <laughs> so, came... yes. Yeah. We came on a little strong last week. We I'm did. not going to lie. We got pretty we excited did. about it, probably because we were discovering it as we were talking. Yeah. I, I do want to say that since we did that show and since we had that weekend... I forgot the app was on my phone and didn't <laughs> open it once and have yet to watch a Quibi show. And I, I would just like to apologise to everyone. <laughs> well, look, your apology is accepted by me on behalf of all listeners. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't, you know, we definitely got excited. We didn't promise we were going to watch it end to end uh, in the in-between week. But you know what? I have actually watched a whole bunch of like live stream things that have been going on over the last week. I feel like celebrities are sort of deciding, you know what, like let's really, like I think there's been a bit of the first wave of celebrities just deciding to go live for for fun. Mm. And But now we're seeing like live streamed shows. So like Radiohead has announced they're going to live stream a bunch of concerts because they're like, well, what else are we going to do? Um Aphex Twin, the digital artist who released a new album last year, I think it was, um, 
live streamed some like big crazy show end of last week, complete with interactive video effects and things. Um, and I've even heard One Direction is throwing a, <laughs> a streaming concert. That is amazing. So it's all happening. And it does mean we're, there's now all of a sudden too much content. Uh, even, you know, there was already too much content in the world. Um, and now we're getting more access. There's even stage shows on Friday night. Um, yeah, that's right. It was a good Friday. We watched, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, an arena spectacular show that was put on in Birmingham recently that they put up for free on this like special kind of YouTube channel that's supporting like West End stuff. And so they're putting up musicals and, and like theater performances and all this sort of stuff, um, just like one at a time for free. So you can kind of feel like you're still getting a taste of all the big West End stuff that you can't do right now. That's actually really exciting. And I've got to say, I'm probably more inclined to watch something like a stage production or maybe opera or maybe ballet than many of the other things. I don't know. I don't know. Like I enjoy seeing live music when it's short. I mean, and I'm in a pub. I, I don't really think I enjoy concerts that much in general, and I don't think a live streaming one's going to exactly enthrall me. Mm. Though I know, like last year, we did because we didn't get tickets to the Cure playing Disintegration at the Sydney Opera House, and then they did do it as a live stream, um, and so we did end up tuning in, and it kind of it was definitely an interesting kind of replacement. You know, it felt like one of those moments where you go, "Oh, imagine being there." In real time, seeing them do this, you know, that would have been great. But versus not getting to see it at all, it was definitely a nice yeah. replacement. Yeah, M- Maybe I'd watch an entire festival live streamed because maybe that would be what I wanted, those nice kind of short sets, lots and lots of bands, yeah. but none of the bad parts of a festival. Yeah, like, but, you know, just festivals. being able to instantly switch to, like, the other stage instead of having yeah. to, like, fight your way across for half an hour to yeah. find, and then realise you went to the wrong stage. Oh, damn it, I've got to... <laughs> That'd be amazing. And you could just, like, charge yourself 20 bucks for a beer and get your dog to sniff your backpack for you and get the entire experience. Oh, you know, yeah, make sure you sort of go out and roll around in, in, in like a wet part of your lawn oh, for a little while. Yeah, fantastic. To- <laughs> so good. So good. Shall we talk so, about something cheerier? Because you've got some fun, bad hacking news. <laughs> yes. So, look, Zoom has been rightly been getting a lot of attention for becoming, you know, the breakout hit of the coronavirus era. Um, and then people discovering it's had a lot of really poor security practices under the hood. But some of the coverage, I think we really need to get better at uh, seeing people kind of hold feet to the fire for the correct reasons. And so one of the latest ones I wanted to call out, and partly because I thought it's a good PSA for people in general, is that the latest bit of Zoom hacking news is that apparently there's like millions of accounts um, being posted basically for free on the dark web of like, here's somebody's Zoom details. You can go and use them to like you know, do whatever you feel like doing on Zoom. Um, but, you know, so the initial coverage is essentially going, oh my God, all these Accounts have been hacked, but actually the, you know, the original story that's pulled out exactly what's going on is talking about the fact that this is what's called credential stuffing, which is essentially hackers going, okay, heaps of people are using Zoom. They've all just created new accounts. 
let's just test out other usernames, email addresses, and password combos to see if someone is reusing old passwords wow. for their shiny new Zoom account. And exactly the same thing happened when Disney, Disney Plus launched. That heaps of people like, oh, my account has been hacked. I just set it up. Disney, what are you doing? You've been hacked. And they're like, no, we haven't been hacked. And it turned out it was because people were using the same password they used somewhere else. And that password had already been uncovered in some other, whether it was one of the old Yahoo hacks or, you know, any of the umpteen times that millions of accounts have been stolen. If people are still using the same password that they used in an old one of those, then it's perfectly simple for a hacker to get, you know, and you can almost put that in inverted commas. A hacker can just type in details to work out, oh, look, somebody has reused that same crappy old password and now I have access to this brand new thing that they set up. That is really, really silly. I, I can't believe people are doing that. Um Oh, come on. I mean, <laughs> if your keys get stolen, your house gets broken into, you change the locks. Yeah. And and this is the thing. I think people are so wildly complacent about this kind of password stuff where <sighs> you know, maybe later on they do they get forced to change you know, that Yahoo password or whatever it was a few years ago. You're really but slamming somehow Yahoo. They're like, yeah. <laughs> and somehow they're like, oh, well, you know, but, but I remember that easy password in my head and I've always had that one easy password that I use all the time. So I'll just... <laughs> Use that one again because this is a new thing and it isn't blocking me from using my favorite password. Um, it's like, please, people, use this just as that the 10th, maybe the 20th, maybe the 50th wake-up call to just treat passwords a little bit more seriously um, so that you don't get caught up in this kind of rubbish. Hey, real question, because it's something you and I have talked about a lot over the years. Why do you think password vaults never took off into the mainstream? Yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, I I use 1Password myself. I love it. It is so much easier than having to remember passwords. Um, I've spoken to great Aussie password expert, Troy Hunt, um, who he was the guy who set up Have I Been Pwned, which is an awesome website you can go to and check any of your, like you just type in your email address and it will tell you every account that, you know, every place that has ever been hacked in some kind of a, an attack on, you know, whatever website it might be. Um, you can even kind of give it, you know, access to one of your, like, I think they tie in with things like some of these password vaults to even say straight up, it'll be like, yeah, this, this has been leaked in this other website attack or whatever it might be. But anyway, his thing is always to say that the best password is one you can't remember. Like <laughs> the whole idea is that the only time you can create a truly secure password is by letting a password manager make it up for you. And just stop trying to let this stuff live in your brain and let these tools that are so good now do the worrying about it for you. And then you really can only kind of have to remember that one password that you remember to get into that vault and then everything else lives in there. I think people keep feeling like, oh, it's just, it's just a bit tricky. And it's like, it actually really isn't once you set it up. It's very easy. They have plugins in every browser. You can have it on your phone with you everywhere you go. You can have like face ID or touch ID or any kind of easy password unlock on your phone to access it. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, why it hasn't taken off? It's it laziness. There you go. It's lazy. I think you're right. I think it is just straight up laziness. But I think uh, I would hope that because we are home, because we're going to be subscribing to more services that we might not be using, I know people are going to be tempted to keep using the same password. Please don't. Yeah, and look, it is a great time to do all those boring jobs you've never bothered getting around to. And setting up a password manager is absolutely one of those boring jobs that once you do it, it's actually a lot easier than you realized it was going to be. And then you can just get on with your life and worry a little bit less about getting hacked. And by getting hacked, I mean having someone use an old password (laughs) that you keep reusing. (laughs) Nick. Yes, Let's just talk about something a little more fun. Because, Let- and, uh, yeah, I, I hear, well, I don't know. I, like, I'm kind of just, I've been trying to fit in more time to play games and worry less about Zoom hacking and just watching things. <laughs> I want to be more an active participant, but I haven't made much time to play much stuff yet. But I don't know if you've played any of the new stuff because there is an awful lot of new stuff. Um, hitting our consoles at the moment. Yeah, new and not new, and that's what's really interesting. So we talked before about me going back and playing all of the Uncharted. Yeah. I went back and played Bioshock again, which is how I realised that I never finished Bioshock, it turns out. Oh. And then I played Bioshock 2, and it turned out I don't think I ever played Bioshock 2, and that's shocking to me because I remember that game very, very fondly, and I'm like, I've (laughs) never done this. This has never been a scene I've seen before. So I've decided to go for something that should technically be new, but of course isn't the Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh, wow. Have you played many of the Final Fantasies before? Well, yes, and here's where it goes right back to. what My first job in magazine publishing was deputy editor of PlayStation magazine, PlayStation 1 magazine. It wasn't even one, it was just PlayStation. Yeah. And so the first game I played on PlayStation was Final Fantasy VII. Right. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this is uh, the true back to the roots. True back to the roots. Of course, that was Next Media, where you and I would go on and work. But, you know, it was the official PlayStation magazine. It was a really big deal. It was really exciting. I didn't game a lot, so it was a really weird introduction into gaming. And Final Fantasy VII blew my mind. I I couldn't believe that games had got that good. It kind of reminded me of the things I'd really enjoyed, like Shining Force and all those kind of, you know, classic RPGs. I really loved it. My PlayStation, courtesy of living in Surrey Hills, got stolen from my house when I was on disc three. Oh. So I never got to finish it because, of course, back then a PlayStation was like $1,000 in today's money. or No, I think it was $1,000 in then money, actually. It was something ridiculous. Um, so I never got to finish it. So I've been really enjoying what they've done with it. And it kind of struck me that, and it was just one of those weird concept things. Here I am playing a game that I remember unbelievably fondly, having an incredibly good time playing it as being remade. But that has never happened to me with a movie. I've never gone and watched a remake and come out of that thinking that was a great idea. And it struck me, are games inherently better at doing remakes than film ever will be? And is it about the technology? Is it about it looking better? And I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, that's it is a really good question because um, the the movie that leaps to my mind on the remake front was Psycho. Um, oh, Gus Van Sant. Gus Van Sant. Yep. When he did a shot for shot remake. Yeah. And it was that idea of trying to kind of be true to the original somehow, 
by being deadly accurate to the way that the original was shot. It made no and sense. And it was the to kind me. of thing where you think, yeah. Whereas it definitely does seem like something that if someone pulls that off in a game in a way that is all about sort of that increased fidelity and, you know, smooth controlling and all those kinds of newer things that come with games, people probably do sort of stop and go, wow, what a faithful reproduction, but in the modern environment. Look, I also, um, I also so that, think they have changed know, up. a very different thing. I also think they've changed up a lot of that story, and I've been really enjoying that too. I feel like some of the characterizations are wildly different. I've been really enjoying that. To me, this has all the hallmarks of being genuinely in love with what you're working with, being devoted to it, but not to the point of just reproducing it. And I've enjoyed, I'm not very far into it, but I've enjoyed every second of it. I did actually uh, end up playing the first chapter that was available as a free demo three times um, because I played oh, wow. it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Because I played it and then it was like, would you like to buy the game? And I'm like, hells yeah, I want to buy the game. And then it made me play it again after I'd bought the game. And then because the game hadn't fully finished downloading, it wouldn't let me save then. So then it made me play it a third time. (laughs) But that was okay because now I'm through that and I'm really enjoying it. And look, you know, Final Fantasy games, if you don't like them, you don't like them. I will never be able to convince you to enjoy them and nor should you. Just find what you like and let it kill you. If it's not a Final Fantasy game, then don't play it. But this is great. And I've been really, really enjoying it. And it does feel weirdly like going back and remembering why I kind of fell in love with that generation of console gaming, um, but doing it on a, on a new console. I don't know. I've loved every second of it. Look, I I never played the original. Um, I had friends, like I had a share house kind of mates with PlayStation. So I sort of saw it being played and other kind of games of that era being played, but I never really played it myself. So the remake did sort of sound really attractive to me and thinking, well, I've never had this experience. And so maybe I just dive in and enjoy this one. The thing that has weirded me out, and maybe you have a better understanding, or maybe this is the first you can hear about it, is that like this is part one and that they're going to sell people um, another Final Fantasy VII Part Two um, later on, and and then maybe even a Part Three. Um, so, like, it isn't the same whole game that the first original Final Fantasy VII was. I'm okay with that. I mean, look, let's be honest. It took three discs for the first game. It was huge. I'm okay with that. And I had heard that. In fact, I am... I, um... Uh, I think this only goes up to a certain point if you are remembering that kind of first game sort of situation. But I think it's great. I'm okay with it. Yeah, because, look, yeah, I have heard people sort of, you know, the counterpoint being that it's like there's still 40-plus hours of gameplay yeah. in in this because these games are epic games. And so, yeah, it's like as long as it feels like it has a genuine end point, then, you know, then that's probably fine. I mean, I, I kind of laugh because you, you kind of say, how many Final Fantasy games are there? And you think, well, you know, is it up to 15 or something like that? Um, I found a list of all of them and all the ones that related, and down the bottom was just showing one, showing 103 of 103 entries. What? Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you're counting the translations and the side quests and the uh, spin-off games and everything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, you know what? A couple of Final Fantasy VII remakes, which is really clunkily named. It is actually called Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which kind of weirds me out. It's not a great title. Yeah. So look, I, I'm curious. I don't know how big that is because we've been doing a lot of installing games again at the moment Ooh. and realizing that I know like Destiny 2 on our Xbox One is over 100 gigs installed <laughs> on a 500 gig hard drive. Um, d- like I'm imagining Final Fantasy 7 is probably taking up most of a PlayStation 4 hard drive. I seem to remember it being really big. Like, I think it's a good 90. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, like, I also have, because I've realized, well, yeah, look, I had to start doing a bit of hard drive management, which is always annoying on consoles. And you're like, why don't they just sell us these things with, like, at least two terabytes in them nowadays? It's like, because that would add $100 to the box price and no one's willing to pay it. Um, (laughs) So they skimp out and then make us go and buy some separate drive, I guess. But... I've managed to get away with not putting any kind of extra thing on it. And so then when I'm looking at the management thing, I'm like, oh, my God, like Halo Collection is like 90 gigs. Um, Destiny 2 is over 100 gigs. Uh, then I've got like a couple of uh, car racing games and they, you know, models and all that take up 70 or so. And suddenly I'm like, I have like five games on this thing and I'm almost out of space. Um So we're finally pulling the trigger, trying to um, doing a bit of research to get myself just what feels like a suitable, you know, extra hard drive to just plug into the side. Because I don't know if most people realize that, that you can just get pretty much any portable hard drive and plug it into your console and it just expands its memory capacity, which is kind of awesome, but also just sort of, it's funny that I'm like weirdly trying to plan out finding the right hard drive to add onto my console. But I do, I do think it matters. Do you currently have like an extra driver? Have you just also been trying to avoid bumping into that? Um, I've that got cap? an extra drive on the Xbox from memory, and it was just whatever old drive I had lying around. I think it had a whole bunch of video files from an old trip I'd done ages <laughs> yep. ago for an old work trip, maybe when I went to Weta years ago so i just grabbed that and uh, plugged it in and it's working absolutely fine but i mean seamus aren't you just deleting old things you're not playing anymore and then re-downloading them using your gigabit internet speeds whenever you feel like playing them again should only take a couple of minutes yes if i lived in singapore that would be easy (laughs) to have gigabit internet um no i and that that is absolutely the thing where i'm looking at these things going now I could I could chip away at the bottom of the list where there's all these games that are under a, you know a gig or in that kind of th- five to one gig territory. Thinking, well, I could quickly reinstall that, <laughs> but then of course you really do suddenly go, and now I only have five games yeah. installed, and all those cute fun games that you really do want to play when you go, I've got ten minutes, let's do a fun thing. They're the small games. <laughs> so no, I ne- I really need to stick stick a hard drive on it. And I have much like you, my first port of call is actually a stack of old hard drives. <laughs> um and I'm just doing you know, I literally have them stacked up on my desk right beside me at the moment going, I'm just I'll let's just quickly double check what's on these. Um but I do know as well that there are I think there are things to keep in mind, like if your game is on that second drive, 
and it's a really old drive, then it could end up meaning it takes quite a long time for it to like load in um, if the hard drive is a bit slow. So I'm definitely trying to find like a USB 3 drive that isn't too slow. I've got like a really pretty kind of Samsung 500 gigabyte SSD, but I feel like if I then kind of go, hey, kids, we've got more room, let's install some stuff, it, 500 gigs won't last long either. It really won't. It really yeah, won't. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I sort of get like, um, you know, just like some nice little two, two terabyte or, you know, three or four terabyte. I think they're only a couple hundred bucks these days. Um, I'm, I do have a five terabyte drive here and I'm, but I'm feeling like that's overkill and it's a handy drive that I have used to, you know, quickly go. I just need to back up that machine temporarily to just know that everything has a place to go. And then in a couple of months, you know, if I suddenly go, Oh, I forgot that file. I know where to find it. But then I, you know, after a couple of months, I can clear it again and know that everything is in its right place. Um, but yeah, I'm the more I talk, the more I'm over, I feel like I'm overthinking it, but I think it's something worth kind of, you know, worth people deciding to actively go and, you know, office works or wherever. Just, I think it feels like a two terabyte. It's probably going to be pretty much on the money for going. 150 bucks, something like that. You just get a portable drive. Cause I also try to avoid even just having to carry around portable drives for the other parts of my life anymore. Whereas remember, we used to always oh. have to wander around with spare, spare on drives your key in your bag, ring, in, in your case. bag, shoved everywhere. You'd have about seven on you. I don't even, I could not yeah. even right now tell you where I could get like a thumb drive. I, off the top of my head, I do not know of one near my desk or at home. And, of course, you used to be lousy with them. You'd open a drawer, there'd be 30 in there. Yeah. I, I've i just reached across my desk to see one. I'm like, here's a, I've got a 32-gig USB 3.0 thumb drive sitting on my desk. Uh, but, yeah, like there was a long time. You know, and we're old enough. Old, oh, geez, being old. But, uh, yeah, where it's like 32 gigs, you needed a hard drive if you were going to shift a file that big. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yes. Anyway, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to get myself a dedicated drive so that I can stop, stop having to partly force, you know, other family members as well to go. Now, are we ready to get rid of, you know, Forza Horizon three? Cause we're mostly playing four, but three is the Aussie one and it's fun to go driving <laughs> around Australia stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's 60 gigs and we almost never play it anymore. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I could help you talk your way through this obviously difficult time for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> Changing tack. Name off the top of your head three LG phones. Um, the LG <laughs> smartphone, the <laughs> LG feature phone, and the- <laughs> I feel really bad. The only one I can remember is the Flex. Remember the one that was oh, yes. the slight banana shape? And yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, ages yeah. ago. I just, you know, it's funny. We used to get a lot of LG phones into the old office that we worked in, and they were often really good. In fact, a long time yeah. there, I think, you know, there were there were genuine flagships that were probably outselling a lot of other manufacturers at the time. LG was producing good stuff. I can't remember the last LG phone I even saw in the wild. I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, I mean, even back then, I remember there was a statistic that Samsung and Apple – um, together had 105% of the profits of the phone industry. 
And the reason it was over 100 is because everybody else was losing money. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that really <laughs> um, hurts. So it's like it's, you know, it's one of those prizes that these companies have chased so hard for so long is to kind of win in the smartphone market. But, um, yeah, everyone who isn't Samsung and Apple has really struggled a lot over the years. Um, but you're right, like LG's phones. I also used to love some of the Sony devices we would right. get in the office um, and that always that feeling where you sort of look at it and think, why Why is nobody choosing to buy this? This is a great device. Well, LG are having another tilt at the brass ring. They've got something called the LG Velvet. Now, the fact is they've broken with that weird kind of, if you do remember any of their names, they were usually really weird, long alphanumeric keys. They've decided to go with something just called LG Velvet. They are obviously going for that flagship design. Have you had a look at it and have you seen what they're calling, I think, the raindrop camera design on the back? No, no. I'm I'm pulling up a picture right now because I'm I have to say I am keen. I'm keen on the idea that uh, you because know, design is going to always get pushed forward when there's yeah. a few extra players in the scene. Well, so I'm using, say, um, uh, one of Google's Pixel phones, the most recent iteration. The camera on the back obviously got the bloody LED flash and three lenses and everything else it needs, all in a little square pattern on the back. I think many of the phone manufacturers are doing that. With the Velvet, what they're doing is all the lenses and the LED are in a row from biggest yeah. to smallest, like a falling raindrop. It's actually ah. really quite elegant and quite lovely. It does actually look, yeah, it, it looks quite pretty. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, uh, and you know what? I kind of, I knew it. I When you asked me for names, because <laughs> I just, I'm like, I felt like I was going to say like the V1 or something. And it's like, yeah, they had a whole bunch of just, yeah, as you say, alphanumeric names. Whereas I think it's definitely helped Samsung over the years to just run with Galaxy yeah. as a brand. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Samsung Galaxy, whichever one. It doesn't matter. It's got a name. Um, so, yeah, maybe they'll do that with Velvet. I see they're disc- it says they're discontinuing the G series, the V series, other things. They've got the Velvet. The Velvet. Nice. And I but do yeah, love you're it. Right. It's, it. And the colors look nice. You know, there's like a red, a purple, a blue, a white, and a black. But they're all sort of quite, you know, Deep, dark colours, not sort of shiny, shouty colours. So lots of elegant vibes to it. I think I'm really into it, although, of course, if you read the actual press release of the announcement, it's typical kind of waffle. There's no other way of putting it. (laughs) Uh, They're saying that they're breaking with their usual tradition of naming, and I'll quote here, in favour of familiar and expressive names that will help the consumer capture the essence of the device best, best suited for his or her personality. Yeah, sure thing, guys. But yeah. you're right, because it's, it's like if they call this the velvet and then they call something else the, you know, the the silk and they call something else... The LG the crinoline. Cord- the corduroy, um, you know, <laughs> the LG cotton, um, you know, fleecy jumper. Um, you know, th- then we'll all just get confused about which one is which again. You know, it's like when HTC did used to kind of name everything. Like they had the hero and they had, I can't, I can't remember other things. <laughs> no, I can't remember. Desire. Either. Um, um, there was a bunch of, yeah, they, had, but they, they gave everything names. And then finally they kind of went, Oh, um, one of these did better than the others. So let's use that name and start putting numbers on the end. Oh my God. It was and the HTC one. That was the worst right. part of it. It was the one. And then and they, they started having the one X and the one two and the, the one nine. And, oh. and like, I think you're missing the point of the word one HTC. You've oh. now got like seven of these things. <laughs> 
Huh. It was wild. But yeah, I'm all for it. And I love the idea again. Like, look, these multi lens things on, on camera phones, I think has been awesome. I think at first it did seem a bit weird, but as a way to solve the whole issue where zoom doesn't really work effectively, like it's hard to put a true zoom lens into the body of a slim phone. Um, that I think the way that they've been working with these ideas has worked really well, I think. You know, my experience so far has been one where it has definitely made a difference to be able to go, oh, I want the two times lens for this, or I want the wide lens for this, and not having to kind of walk back or walk forward. You're like, sometimes you can only stand where you're standing, and being able to kind of shift lenses has definitely been, I think, a you know, a positive, given that we don't carry fancy cameras around with us very much anymore, if ever. Um, and so, you know, making this camera in our pocket the best it can be is definitely, uh, you know, a huge improvement for just getting great pictures. Look, it's the nighttime stuff for me or the, you know, the dark vision kind of camera yes. that whenever I'm trying to take a photo of my cat, usually only by a TV light because he only ever does interesting things when there's no natural lighting around. <laughs> I'm like, oh. That's actually not a bad photo, and that's meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, you wanted to wrap up with a couple of quick things. What do you oh, got? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, just off the back of the phone stuff, just a quick shout-out that it's been about, I think, seven years since the last major benchmarking scandal in smartphones. Um, so that's the whole issue where, in the name of essentially convincing you know, the reviewers who work at places like our old mates at CNET and different kinds of tech outlets, making them think that this phone performs better than it does, uh, companies were caught using like special code that would identify that a benchmark tool was running and then make it run faster while that benchmark tool was running in order to perform better just for the benchmark. Um, it's happening again, apparently. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So Arnand Tech has uh, spotted, um, some media tech, uh, chips. Um, so I think, yeah, they, they make a bunch of chips for a lot of the kind of the Asian phone manufacturers. Um, and yeah, apparently they've called it sports mode. <laughs> and they noticed in the code that this sports mode only seems to be triggered by specific benchmarking tools uh, running and there's no other way you can get access to this sports mode. And indeed, when they then like renamed their uh, a benchmarking package as something else, then the benchmark didn't perform quite so well. Um, and apparently, yeah, like this has just been the last few days, so I'm sure it'll kind of continue to uh, get more attention. Um, but apparently it's the kind of hardware that... Uh, Customers like who is it? Oppo and Xiaomi and Vivo. So Oppo is probably the main one in Australia. But right, like so much of this stuff these days, I'm like, there's almost no one choosing their phone based on benchmark scores on a nerd website. Um, some are, and those people should rightly be able to get upset about this stuff. Um, but for most average folks, it's like you pick it because you like the camera, you you like the battery life, um, you like the look of the thing, and you just want it to, you know, fit nicely in your pocket. Um, but still, always worth a note that uh, this kind of stuff is rearing its head again. So if you like caring about benchmarks, then pay attention because this news is going to keep blowing up. 
Look, I always felt that those benchmarking tools were a great way of making sure your review was broken up by a couple of graphs instead of just photos, but that was about the end of it. <laughs> that is very true. You have to show you're working. Oh, I used to say work. that a lot to, yeah, Craig Sims, our old colleague, where it's like, really, we just have to show our working um, because most people, they want to skim past it and know it was there. <laughs> And then they'll get on to reading what the final conclusion was. <laughs> Look, a final one from me and some very good news. I know you're a strong bad fan, Homestar Runner. I am too. Yes. I absolutely love it. If you follow Strong Bad Actual on Twitter, you would know that just Friday, I think it was, they dropped 180 tracks of background music, jingles, songs, what have you, from the 20 years of homestarrunner.com, and they are available as a Spotify playlist. That is so good. Three volumes. And that is brilliant. And you're right, like, these guys kind of, um, it's the, you know, the brothers chaps, they... um basically made so much cool music yeah. for that stuff. Even with their band, Limousine, they made a fake heavy metal band called Limousine. Um, and it was uh, Strong Bad's favourite band. Yeah, and it's just, <laughs> But they then actually made music. Um, so so much cool stuff. They even made some songs for the old Guitar Hero type stuff back in the day. They made like really hard versions of like Strong Bad, uh, sorry, of uh, Trogdor the Burninator um, as a very, very kind of high end expert mode challenging song that you could try to, try to win. So yeah, they are like mad keen musos. So that's great because it's, it's like it isn't just a random dump of you know, here's something that was sitting in a file that we decided to do something with. It's like they cared about this stuff. So it's awesome actually to be able to go exploring it. I'm really excited for it. It's going to be my playlist for a while, uh, probably until we do this again next week. <laughs> yes. So let's wrap it up. Nick, great to have you again. Please tell people where they can find your stuff. Grab me on Twitter. I am at Dr. Nick. That is D-R underscore N-I-C. Or you can track me down on Facebook. It's Nick Healy. And I'm at Seamus on Twitter, S-E-A-M-U-S. You can find all the Biteside things and the other shows on the network at Biteside.com or follow us on at Biteside, at The Biteside on Instagram and slash Biteside on Facebook. But please email us. Tell us what you're doing in nerdy ways to keep yourself busy during this lovely coronavirus uh, shut-in period. Let's call it a lock-in. Then it feels a bit more exciting. Oh, it's yeah. Like, you know, Exclusive. You, yeah. Um, ask at biteside.com. Send us what you're up to. Until next time, we will catch you all then. Beep.